Dear Ann Landers, my husband Dear and I Abby, are in shock. I'm extremely upset. My son got married in Dear Ann Landers, I'm very happy to hear that his wife is working out of a woman here at She thinks way too much of herself. She had to get married. Dear Pod. FYI, I needed a new thing to watch in the mornings. I need, like, something light and gentle. I need a, a warm hug. You know, I've watched Grace and Frankie twice through. I, I needed something different. And Netflix, it's like there's a psychic that works for Netflix. Mm-hmm. And they sort of gently push you towards what they think you should be watching. And every day I turn on Netflix, it's like, you should watch Gilmore Girls. I really recommend Gilmore Girls. Are you, are you watching Gilmore Girls? Because well, you should. I can't watch Gilmore Girls because I feel like I'm already on Adderall, and they're like, <laughs> "Hey, why don't you guys have another Adderall? What? Just have another one." And it's like, it's like the guy who did the Micro Mini Machines commercial when you were a kid, and you're like, There's "Fucking a lot of slow There's down!" A- <laughs> How does anyone know what happens in this town? Can you imagine if you just woke up and you went to Laura Lee to ask her for an aspirin? You'd be like, forget it. I'm, I'm going to take a walk. I'm going to go to Luke's place and he's way more chill. Jesus. I don't think you need any more coffee. He's a curmudgeon. What about coffee? Can I have some more coffee? What about some coffee? Can I have a coffee with a side of coffee? Uh, yes. There is a lot of intense patter going on in there. But I don't think it started out that way. It was They're like, it's kind of like a Peloton ride. Okay, let's just, uh, just warm it up. We'll just an easy breezy 65. And then like a minute later, they're like, Let's go up to 150. Yeah. Out of the saddle. Go. Yeah, by the, I almost literally just got up from my chair right now. <laughs> it's Pavlov. I did it this morning. I'm having a reaction. <sighs> um, no, from what I have been told from my friend who, who has watched all seven seasons of Gilmore Girls three times, That's... I have been told that they chill out after the first few episodes. I thought that they got faster. No, I don't think they're picking up speed. I think they're going the other way. Because they're not th- getting hotter. They're cooling down. Because I thought that everyone was talking, I was reading something about, you know how every show has kind of like a rhythm? Yeah. Like Aaron yeah. Sorkin has a rhythm. And then oh, Gilmore yeah. Girls has a like same thing with Special Victims Unit. They're like, okay, you're going to have to give her five minutes for the slow whisper and then stare. Okay, it's a lot of, and then we only have room for one storyline today, right? In an hour-long drama, because she's taking all her time. And then Downton Abbey has this rhythm. Uh, (laughs) Hello, would you like some chicken? Um, I haven't seen you in a week and a half. What do you need to tell me about your life? (sighs) Take a break. Well. Decided to celebrate my birthday, which falls on a Friday. Okay. So we're going to talk about scheduling. Oh. Going to Fire Island. <gasps> haven't been there in forever. We're coming with you. And we're bringing the board. We're very excited. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't get sand in it. Very excited. What? When? It, this is like July, right? July 16th. Oh, that's very exciting. Just like two days because oh. it's really expensive. Yeah. And that's really all you can take of Fire Island. I think I can't, unless I went during, the, I used to go during the week. And that was nice. Oh, that's nice. And it's not chaos. But you're, you're choosing to go on a weekend in the middle of the summer <laughs> yeah. to Fire Island. Yes. And I think the house right now is empty. What house is this? Are you renting one? Um, I'm renting rooms in a house. Uh, that's what I love about Fire Island. You don't have to get 
a whole house rental. You don't even need to get a whole room rental. You could get a bed rental Mm -hmm. because of the week that I did a show there and I was there for the week and the rolling cast of characters that shared a room with me. There was a guy who was there for a circuit party and I was like, nice to meet you. We'll be sharing a room like we're in camp, like two twin beds. And you just kind of come and go as right. you please. Literally, figuratively. That place, I haven't been there in so long. The last time I was there, uh, everybody, you just you just drink from the second you get there mm-hmm. until the second you leave. And your liver is like a sad little raisin by the time you're out of there. God willing, the weather's nice. You You wake up, you put your suit on, you have something that won't bloat you, that should carry you throughout the entire day. Do you go to the nude part of the beach? Aaron... Tell me. I've told you this one time when when Paul Cannon and I went to Fire Island and we're just like hanging out. We went to the beach. This is like probably one of the first times we went. And uh, this guy who looks like Ed Begley Jr. comes over and he's like, hey, now I am facing Paul. (laughs) Paul is facing Ed Begley Jr. And um, if you don't know who Ed Begley Jr. is, you can always just Google it or you can just reference She-Devil because Mm -hmm. it's Roseanne's wife. Anyway. Really, he has he has a, a litany of movies to pick from. Right, he was but, the king of the eighties nerd. Correct, mm-hmm. uh, and by wife, I'm and husband. So Paul's like, sure, of course. And I turn around to see who it is, and it's this Ed Begley Jr. completely naked. I'm like, oh my god! And now I'm by the way, he's standing and I'm sitting, and I'm so I'm like face <laughs> to nuts. I'm like, wow! And I looked at Paul like. Like, you couldn't give me, like, a heads up? But he, he could have taken out an eye. <laughs> you mean, could have been hurt. And then he has the nerve after that to, like, I think they're playing catch. Oh, God, naked. No, come on. Stop it. Stop. There's things you don't do while you're naked. Come. Like Or, like, set up your blanket. You're like, I don't want to see your dirt star high up in the sky like that. I know. A nasty balloon. You better be bleached <laughs> if you're on the beach. <laughs> Is that Jeff Dunham's puppets? What is that? When I when I walked onto that beach by accident, because there's a whole stretch that's just nude. That you just don't know until you know. There's no warnings. There's no signs. You're about to walk onto a nude beach. The, the only sign you get was what I saw, which was a guy who had his whole head covered, like big, you know, fedora-y sun hat, and he was putting a a, a beach umbrella into the sand, and he was, like, having a hard time really getting it in there and finding a nice, sturdy spot, a- and he's squatting. And and you no, just see. see from the back, it was like two oranges and a nylon just dangling. Sure. And, and I was like, I wanted to go over and help him just to stop the bleeding. Like, let me put this in for you, sir. I'm fully clothed. I got this. The only thing you should be doing when you're naked is Does standing up Does she even know that she's flexing. doing the moth right now? Am I? What? Am I? What do you mean? Am I sound? I just really wanted to help him. I just wanted to help him put it in. Do you, sir? Do you want me oh, to? Oh no! Put it in? <laughs> <laughs> I entendre. Ooh, I'm so sorry for my entendre. I'm letting it slip out. <laughs> Lord, I get very excited about the naked people. No. I yeah. love it. I love All it because right. sometimes, like Fire Island, it's kind of like being on the love boat slash Fantasy Island. Like you're walking down the boardwalk and you're like. Tommy? Like you have like who the fuck like God. you know like the most random fucking person from like your past shows up. Yeah, there's something about the vortex of this place. Um or like when all like Sarah Jessica Parker's just like walking up to you like, "Hey, do you have a cigarette?" and you're like, "Where are, are we I? friends here?" 
Am I in the uh, I don't am understand. I in the upside down? Where, why is Andy Cohen wanting to know if I read his book? Who's the guy? Who, <laughs> who's the guy? The lead in uh, Dukes of Hazard. Who is Luke Duke? Tom Schneider. Tom Schneider. No, the blonde one. Wopat. I I had uh, I was trying to get a sublet for my apartment, and while I was on Fire Island, Tom Wopat called me and asked me about my apartment. Everything is weird when you step onto that island. You're like, oh, it's like a who's who of who the hell brought you here? Right, and that somehow we we all kind of like, oh, how do you how do you know uh, Prince William? Oh, we're just we just met here today. And Fire Island? Yeah, now we're good friends. Now we're pals. I'm going to go back to his house. That (laughs) reminds me, I did a gig, like a, not a gig so much. I went to an event last week, and it was all comedians. I was invited by a guy who owns a club in Jersey, and he's like, will you come to this event? I was like, great. It's like 15 minutes from me. Perfect. Awesome. He's like, you don't have to do anything. It's not a gig. It's just like- You just have to wash the cars at the end. Except you just need to serve the food and <laughs> refill the drinks and clean the toilets. And wear the shirt Nothing and would surprise me anymore. And so he's like, um, it's comics that are talking about the year of COVID and like how they survived the year of COVID. And I was like, all right, sure, why not? He sends me the invitation for it, and it's at the home of a Republican assemblyman. And I was like, oh, what's going to happen to me? I roll up. And there's Secret Service everywhere. And the row of cars on the street. And I was like, what's happening? And of course, then my first thought is, what did I wear? Am I wearing the right thing? Should I go back and get a gown? And I gown. But then it got really weird. I just I go into this place and I see a bunch of comics I know. So I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. And it's like half the room are politicians everybody's in khakis and these button downs and the other half is this like ragtag group of comedians and it it was like split down the middle and you know confused about what it is of course i go into the bar first of all because this guy has a a full service bar in his house and i mean like you could walk in off the street and order (laughs) you gotta get a bit (laughs) lure him in we got a free bar here. Well, hey, everybody. Do you like lollipops? <laughs> hey, so, pigtails, get off your bike and have a vodka soda. But it kept getting weirder. So we're sitting there and we're sort of, uh, we, we start the panel to talk about what we've done. And I'm looking at this guy and I'm like, I turned to my, my friend Aaron and I was like, God, he looks familiar. And she was like, it's Governor Murphy. It's the governor of New Jersey. (laughs) And I was like, oh. And then it just kept getting weirder. For some reason, people just kept scrolling into this party. And it's like, and here's the former president of Burundi. And here's blah, blah, blah. All these politicians are coming in. And then all of a sudden they go, oh, here's Joe Piscopo. (laughs) And I thought, I thought it was a Joe Piscopo impersonator. He was like orange. So I <laughs> wait the real Joe Piscopo. The real Joe Piscopo. But I'm looking at him. But I thought I was like, I swear to Christ, if Gallagher comes out next, nothing will surprise me. <laughs> why? Do, why is if the they're front like, row having a splash guard? The royal family. Like, it was like every new person they introduced had. But I looked at him and I was like, oh my god, they got a Joe Piscopo impersonator. I mean, well, <laughs> and then he came in further, and I was like, "Oh, that's Joe Piscopo." Why would there need? Why would there be a need? There's something for everybody out there. You cannot tell me that somebody isn't making money hand over fist, being like, "I just do Joe Piscopo." Like that's what Vegas is built on. Vegas is built on impressions of people who are more rich and famous and talented. 
Well, let's not get crazy. Uh, I saw a Celine Dion impersonator there that I swear uh, to God. If Christ you're comparing Celine Dion. Celine Dion to Joe Piscopo, there's something wrong <laughs> with you. <laughs> they Celine both Dion. go to the same spray tanner, I guarantee you. And that's where the comparison ends. Exactly. <sighs> I'm going to do it so it's out of the way. Are okay. you ready? I think I am. You're ready. Do you want to bring your knees up to like your shoulders, maybe get in a position? They may never that's get a, back down. What about a lotus? Who? Gentle Lotus. Are you talking about Christina Aguilera's album, Lotus? Um, No, I'm not. Oh, okay. But now I will look it up because I need new music in the car. Well, it's not new, but sometimes <gasps> you have to revisit music. her old shit. Exactly, to see where she came from. <clears throat> okay. I'm here. Ready? Yes. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Dear Pod, the comedy advice podcast. I'm your host, James Spada. And I am Florence Griffin Joyner. And we are coming to you from the Maha'a Bar in the beautiful summery pineapple ranch. Could I hear it? And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. Thank you. If that were today, I would have smacked her off the stage. I mean, but you have to think about where she where she fucking came from. Uh She was trapped in that fucking flying nun show. She was trapped in Gidget, and she had to fucking claw her way out of that stupid image Mm. that she didn't even want. Mm. With her millions of dollars, right? I feel so bad for her, but you shouldn't feel bad for us because this week, like all weeks, we're bringing you the advice articles of Ann Landers and Dear Abby. We're pulling them onto the mat by their hair and wrestling them to the ground. We're pinning them. We're taking their legs and shoving them into their chest and hoping that they don't die under the weight of our... We're reading their articles. That's all we're doing. We read articles of Ann Landers and Dear Abby. If you don't know that already, then you're missing out on this life. So what are you waiting for? Follow us on your social medias. At, at, the air is thick today. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to breathe through humidity. At Dear Pod Official on your Insta, your Twitter, your Face. Check out our webby website, dearpodofficial.com, where you can read, read, what's wrong with me know. today? Listen to every last damn episode we have. Over 100, over two years of quality comedy content. Just ready for you to binge, bitches. Mm. Email address. We got a one. We got one email address, dearpodofficial at gmail.com, where you can email us any of your advice questions, and we will answer one of them on the air every week True. because we are completely unqualified to do so. And finally, and most importantly, our Patreon page, patreon.com slash dearpodofficial. When you become a subscriber, you get special tidbits in your box. Ooh, yeah. Is it a full box? It is a full box, and I've been trying to clean it out for days <laughs> now. Gross. There's a lot Aaron. of deleting. I'm, I'm deleting things from my box. Gently. Gently! But you should not delete us. Patreon.com slash Dear Pod Official. So much goings on right now. It's summertime officially because some, some, we never summertime, had summertime, a spring. Summertime, some, oh, summertime, no. Summertime, summertime. I, had, I made myself James Spader this week because uh, of all of the Twitter storm that's going on over the Evan Hansen trailer. <laughs> And I just felt like you may have something to say about this. Now, I want to say off for the record, I do not care. I I don't care how he could be 55 years old. <laughs> Maybe the wig is a little bit much. But 
<laughs> but I really don't care because he originated the role. Mm-hmm. I think he's very talented. Yep. I think he can sing it better than anybody in the world. And it's not like he's that much older. And let's be real. We're children of the 80s. 60-year-old people were pr- playing high school students. Stalker Channing our- was 35. James Spader was 53 when he was in Pretty in Pink. And we've talked about that. Like, does your child go to school here? Are you dating one of the teachers? I'm in fifth grade. He made an entire career out of playing a high schooler. Well, like Ali Sheedy, I think she's 73 Mm -hmm. when she was in any of those movies in the 80s. Gabrielle Carteris. I mean, is as if you didn't know she was the oldest teenager. Oh, my God. The Breakfast Club it's was like, a Cialis commercial. Me, I'm sorry, ma'am. Ma'am, I'm in your homeroom class. Oh, sorry. Just you know. I think they cast 90210 from a, a nursing home. Oh, my God. They're like, let's make her look terrible. Overalls again? How about a floppy hat? <laughs> How about really round glasses? Wire-rimmed Ben Franklin glasses? How could we make this poor woman who will eventually be the president of the goddamn Screen Actors Guild Union look any worse? Let's Term. make her look younger. Uh, we're going the opposite way. Overalls. No, she looks like the best friend in Teen Witch. <laughs> so top that with you and your floppy hat. All right. What's our topic we, du jour, Our Aaron? topic du jour, when we may end up, because it's already 1130, because we have our special guest coming soon, but we may mm. have to like pause I hear you. and then go back. I, I hear, hear you. you. I, I acknowledge you. you. I honor You're you. In the, I honor you. We're both in the room together. We're both in the room together. So this week's topic, get excited, is dance. I've had the time <laughs> of my life. <laughs> That's in the key of Q, ladies and gentlemen. You're welcome. You got that for free, 90 free, goddammit. Uh, so did this anyone week, else have a dirty dancing poster in their room? Or excuse Guilty. me? Required in my home. Yeah. Also because that's Maude's favorite movie. You sit there and you watch baby dance. I don't have an abortion. Not, not today. <laughs> I've been to the place where they film dirty dancing in North Carolina. With the famous scene with the pressing over the head, I've seen like there's not much left of where they they had the bungalows and things, but of course I reenacted baby dancing down the stairs. How could you not? The art of the dance. I'm very excited about today's topic. I'm glad. Are you a dancer? Do you dance? Have you well, danced? rhythm is the dancer. It's a soul companion. You can mm. feel it in the air. Yeah. Um, I always wanted to be a dancer. Um, but since I went to that all-boys school, it was kind of frowned upon. But I really enjoyed it during the musicals, and I was kind of hoping that Al Mueller, our um, choreographer in our shows, would have, like, you know, like, I think you should take dance, Patrick. And he never said it to you? I mean, in a way, we had a bond, but no. <laughs> but it was not through the dance. Um, it, he was like, well, I mean, it was. I, th- I, we were, I was pretty good for someone that doesn't move well. And then I did. Mm-hmm. And then um, I think when you don't have any support, your dreams just die. Like, um, <laughs> like, gold, like goldfish in a disposal. Oh, put that on a pillow, ladies and gents, and sell that shit at home goods. <laughs> when you don't have support, your dreams just die. Yeah, I have a lot of dead dreams. Oh, I'm I went to the, for one to come alive. Well, I went to the Karen Hauser Mahoney School of Dance. I don't mean to brag. But it was it was a one room studio opened by a middle aged woman. It was awesome, and uh, and that's where I started to dance. Didn't have the passion for it as a kid. Mm. Have the bod for it. I felt like if I had the discipline, I could have been a 
a Trina. I could have been a ballerina. Okay. But I, I, I did grow up like kind of casually dancing. And then I got to college and I went bonkers and I couldn't get enough dance classes. And I, I took it next level. That was your knuckle. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I, I love the dance. And I ended up getting cast as the dance lead my sophomore year of college. Nice. That's mage. I took ballroom dance in college. Oh, my I've God. I've dancing classes. I don't want to rely on somebody <clears throat> else to yank me around a floor. I can pseudo swing dance, but. What's pseudo swing? Well, I'm not like doing like, you know, I'm not jump jive. Jiving and wailing? Yeah. Oh, I mean, okay. I can't like swing anyone over my. You head, could but... jive, but you're not really a jumper or whaler. I'm not a whaler. No, no. Now, now I want, kind of want you to get up and do a dance for me. Yeah, no. Would you do it? Definitely not gonna. Happen. Come on, we dance at at weddings. We're very good at that. Oh wait, that was that me. That was Marcus. And that was that was that was the guy at our table who had twelve of those specialty cocktails. <laughs> you know, it's bad if you get cut off at a wedding. Cut off at a wedding. So this week we're talking about dance. We have a very special guest that will be joining us later to discuss all things the dance. Are you ready? I am. Let's see what the lady's got to say about dancing, dancing, dancing. A dancing machine. <laughs> I gotta get down, gotta get down. This is from the Berkshire Eagle, Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Wednesday, November 9th, 1983. Dear Abby, my husband and I are 70 and retired. Our hobby is dancing. So many of our contemporaries have taken to the rocking chairs that we are thrown together with younger people at our favorite club, where we wine and dance several nights a week. It seems my husband has become infatuated with a young, to us, 40-year-old, married, sexy, uninhibited psychologist with whom he loves to dance. When they end a dance together, she clasps her hands around his neck and looks adoringly into his eyes as he holds her close for a very long time. Meanwhile, everyone sees this. When these two say goodnight, there are long, lingering hugs and kisses. In spite of my tears and pleading, my husband continues to carry on this way with her. Her husband just laughs, and he doesn't seem to care. Well, I care. How can I cope with this situation, which has depressed me for over a year? My husband is a wonderful man, and he doesn't lack for affection at home, but I can't handle this. I've been to two marriage counselors without success. Now what? Signed, Hurting in New York. Change your partner! <laughs> Square dance! To the left, grab a boob! To the left, grab a boob! <laughs> Dear Hurting, you say you've been to two marriage counselors without success. What about your wonderful husband? If he hasn't gone, he should waltz over to a family therapist. He needs to hear from a professional that his, that his inappropriate public behavior is humiliating his wife and undermining her health. And don't rule out the possibility that this that his cruelty could be due to a physical or mental abnormality. Oh. In which case, he needs to see his physician. Physical abnormality? What? Go into detail. Third nipple. Uh, yeah, I'm really sorry about my fucking rock hard uh, erection. That's not abnormal to everybody. <laughs> She's just really fucking hot. Change your partner. I'm just lucky I can get it up. I'm 70 plus. <gasps> So they're going to class together, and he's flirting with a chick, and he's partner dancing just with her all the time. Wh- who's letting this shit? It's like cheating in open air. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Oh, no, that's fine. No, I get a pass because it's happening in front of everybody, so it's not real. No, you've got a partner. He's got a partner. I like to dance with her. I wonder who she's dancing with at these things. And clearly not the other guys. 
No, not her husband. No, I mean the other woman's part. It's one big wife swap in dance class. But someone's got to get that fucking rotten egg. <laughs> Hi, Merv. Oh, nothing <laughs> is more anxiety riddling. Like I had to take as part of my like school, you had to take partner dancing. Like you had to learn all of the dances, the waltzes, the everything that that involved somebody else, and and you just never knew who you were gonna get. That is, there's nothing worse than I don't know how they did reels. You know those reel dancing. What R E E L reel, like doing a reel, and when they like whenever you see Charles Dickens movies, books made into movies. <laughs> And there's like the two rows of the people oh, and yes. they stand across from each other and it's like, and then the person on the left goes to the person on the right and then we swing each other around and then isn't it wonderful because we're daffy and we're spinning and then I get dumped with some jackass who's got three teeth in his head. I always like um, when you, like if you're in a class and you're like partnering and you can just tell like, you know when a dog is being groomed with a blow dryer and it's like they're just <laughs> moving their head like left and yes. right? And you just see the girls doing that because there's always like that guy that has just eaten like a brick of cheese from like a hundred years ago. And yeah. you're like, no, I get... <laughs> <laughs> and you just, just need to take a it. gasp of air by turning your head to the right like, this is as much oxygen as I can take in really quickly. <gasps> they're like spinning to you. They're like, get me out of here. <laughs> Do you have a man? Why the fuck did you bring me to this class? <laughs> <laughs> That's my biggest nightmare. And they took us to this swing dance class that was that was like in the community of Ithaca. So now we're with regular people, mm. not just our people that we know. And regular, oh, the parents. Regular people. Regular people are the worst. I want irregular people. I want abnormal physical people. Correct. Or mentally abnormal. Or like, you know, in uh, Mary Poppins when they're all in, you know, in the picture and like there's a, the small, wide woman, the tall bean sprout of a man. Uh-huh. All different shapes and sizes. Ba-da-da-da, step in time. Ba-da-da-da-da, step in time. I don't know the Playing rest. the tambourine on his head. Yes, yes. Oh, cute. I want someone to play. God, that's really mean. That fucking hurts. A tambourine <laughs> is fucking. so much. For an entire song? Yes. Oh, we guy. do eight shows a week. This hurts, you guys. <laughs> Stop hitting He's me with the He's a cartoon. It's fine. He'll get over it. It's just some abuse. Okay. Speaking of abuse, wait Your until turn. you hear this next article. All right. Uh, both of my articles are from the Boston Globe this week. Apropos. Ah, D-D-D-D. Yeah. September 19th, 1975. Boston mm. Globe, baby. Does dance ruin men? <laughs> I love it when there's a good title. Yes, it does. Dear Ann Landers, I am convinced the American woman's obsession that men be good dancers is breeding the masculinity out of them. Dancing is a woman's game. A truly masculine male was not meant to glide a woman gracefully across the dance floor. His center of gravity is different and he is likely to feel clumsy and awkward when he attempts to imitate the grace and rhythm that his partner expresses so naturally. This is why the most manly men hate to dance. Not so with the gay element. They are invariably marvelous dancers and have fooled a great many women. Some women have even married them because they are so beautiful and dance so well. This trend will be reversed only when women get smart and stop falling for fairies who tiptoe through the tulips. (sighs) Wise up, will you, Anne? Signed, Orlando Observer. Dear O.O., 
wise them up? Dearie, you're the one who needs to be wised up. Such hogwash I haven't heard since I left Iowa. (laughs) Your notion that gay guys are good dancers is ridiculous. I don't know who you've been dancing with in Chicago, but I'm in Orlando, but come to Chicago and I'll prove your theory, cockeye. What an asshole. What an asshole. Think about Patrick Swayze. He had to fight against that his whole life. Oh, such a manly man. Uh, John Travolta. Shut it. You I'm know what? sorry. Open this back door and run out into traffic. <laughs> what are you talking about? There's the no closet homosexual Scientologist that is John Travolta. Was a good. T- I just made a case for Orlando. He's a homosexual. One for We're Orlando. We're talking about Patrick Swayze. Okay, we'll go man back to Patrick Swayze. She's I'm like clearly the wind. through my trees. <laughs> she's like the wind. Next to me. I. For a minute there, I really, your notion that gay guys are good dancers is ridiculous. You come to Chicago and I'll show you a bunch of gay guys who are terrible dancers. None of them. <laughs> Two left feet. That's really where I thought she was going to go with it. So I'm very happy that she she doubled down. Gene Kelly, Fred Astaire, straight, straight. Oh my God, of course. You could prove a the- theory 20 times over. Mm-hmm. People are dumb. It's just... always have people assume that because oh my god <gasps> there was this guy he's a I'm kind of obsessed with him all right uh he was the choreographer for the show that I wrote for Norwegian Cruise Lines and he was Britney's one of Britney's backup dancers which one was he Chase Benz is his name you need to look him up and you need to follow him on Instagram I'm doing it right now he is Chase Benz yes he B-E-N-Z is married or B-E-N-Z. B-E-N-Z. he's married with two kids lives in LA such a fantastic dancer. Beautiful to watch. You will follow him on Instagram and then you will be oh. obsessed with everything he's doing. But And just a cool guy in general. So that's bullshit. And also 1970s, it's a little late to be that ignorant. I'll say. I, I may have given you a pass in the 60s for that kind of crap. Wow, Chase. Mm. Hey to the folks. Hey. Hey. Hi. Oh, God. guess I'll go do some pull-ups when I get home. Do some dancing, dancing, dancing. dancing. Gotta get down. Give me another article. Dancing machine. The Miami News, Miami, Florida. Friday, December 4th, 1981. Dancing on day of funeral seems disgraceful to her. Yeah. Dear Abby, recently my husband attended the funeral of a fellow legionnaire. I was informed that my presence wasn't necessary. Afterward, the relatives met at the Legion Hall for a supper with the widow and her two teenage children. But then they proceeded to dance. My daughter happened to drop by the hall, and the first thing she saw was her father dancing with the widow. I'm no prude or saint, but I can't imagine anyone doing this. Signed, Confused, in Indiana. Dear Confused, on the face of it, it would seem most inappropriate for mourners to dance only hours after burying a loved one. Your husband is the only one who knows what really occurred and why. I suggest you ask him for any explanation. I don't understand where I'm no pruder saint, which happens a lot in these articles. Oh, yeah. What do you need? Like, it's not like they're, um, like, fucking. Like, I'm no pruder saint, but. Prude. Prude. But why is it prudish to dance? At, the at a funeral? funeral? 
I think prude is the wrong word. It's you're a judgmental bitch. That's what you are. <laughs> Who cares? At my funeral, you guys, I want, I want, uh, like a whatever they do in New Orleans. That like second line. You get out there with your umbrellas, your parasols, and you mm-hmm. just traipse down the street, and someone's playing the the trumpet, and somebody's going Zatarans. And do will you have like an open casket, like it's like a thousand degrees outside, so like birds are just picking at your skin. Yes, and I want I'm gonna just slowly melt away in the mm-hmm. sun. I've never been to a funeral where people are dancing ever. Neither have I. It's not usually the thing that happens, but no, I, I'm surprised it doesn't happen at more Irish funerals. To be honest. Like a VFW hall after the after the after the ceremony, you know. Mm. I feel like if it, if it's gonna happen anywhere, it would be an Irish funeral. Yeah. I remember my my mother and my aunt, my grandmother, went to an Irish funeral where they really propped the guy up and no. it, it shot the shit out of them. So you know, wakes. Remember when wakes used to be like three day events? Yes. And people would line up outside. It's sad I'm getting to an age where I'm, or just maybe it's the pandemic where I was like, God, I'd love a good wake right about now. You know, like seeing a whole bunch of people you never, you haven't seen in years. And they went to this guy's wake and they walked in and and my grandmother was literally like, (gasps) because they had him sitting up in the casket, sitting bolt upright. Like he's in a luge? (laughs) (laughs) Did they like leave room behind so that you can like take a picture? Jamaican bobsled, anybody? (laughs) (laughs) Come on, kids, get back. It's like Splash Mountain at Disney. (laughs) You can buy the pictures on the way out. Everybody put your arms up like you're going downhill, everybody. Yay! (laughs) Grandpa's arm won't, (laughs) Grandpa's arm is locked. His arms like locked up, ones down, ones up. But you get to like put choose props that you can bring in, like glasses <laughs> or a, a little pendant that says "I'm with stupid." Little arrow, maybe like those mustaches <laughs> on sticks. That's my kind of funeral, baby. Oh, now I want a Jamaican bobsled funeral. Uh, no, you already called yours. You've already just, you've already told us what you wanted. What if we do this? <laughs> what if? What if if one of us dies, um, we rent out one of those. Um, log rides. Yeah, yeah. Right. Everyone who is in attendance, flume, yeah, right, in attendance is on the bridge. Oh right? yes. And me or you, whoever dies first, is on the log you. ride, oh. propped up, of course. Uh huh. <clears throat> in whatever attire is appropriate, and then <laughs> we're the only one on the ride, sent through, and everyone's like, "Yay, Aaron!" <laughs> just, like, just like your dead body, just like rolling around. <laughs> And then as it comes down like the big and it <laughs> like, hits the water. Hits water and sprays everybody. But then <laughs> And then you can't tell where what are your tears and what's the water on That's your right. face. That's but right. I guarantee you if my dead body hits that water, it's gonna get <laughs> propelled, rocketed, parachuted out and it's straight you into are, the crowd. You're gonna be like <laughs> you're gonna be like a bride's bouquet. Catch her! <laughs> Whoever catches her is next. Wait, what? No. This is a Gallagher show. (laughs) I caught her. Oh, shit. I'm next. Oh, God. Final destination. Hot potato. Hot potato. (laughs) Exactly. And then it's like when they they throw those inflatable balls into Shea Stadium. Everybody's like, poof, poof, poof. Yeah. Keep her up. Keep her up. Don't let her hit the ground. (laughs) They throw throw you back in. They're like, ooh. Ooh. 
she was just hit by the log ride. I thought oh, she'd fuck. go back in the water. I but... thought she was going to land right back. Oh, oh. awkward. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I got one final article. Are you ready? Right. Are you so. ready? Yes. This comes from, again, the Boston Globe, Boston, Massachusetts, my home tizzity, October 1st, 1976. I attended a dance last weekend where there were 12 and 13-year-old girls who were trying to look older. It was really sad. Get ready. I'm convinced the story is actually about me. One girl, she looked like she was about 11, had stuffed toilet paper in her halter to make herself look like she had a bust. When I saw her dancing with an older guy, the toilet paper had moved around a lot and one breast was twice as big as the other. On the smaller side, the toilet paper was sticking out under her arm, about four squares of it. That's so specific. I didn't know whether to say anything to her or not, so I just kept quiet. What would you have done? Signed, Embarrassed Silence. Signed, Nipples. She doesn't even say Dear Embarrassed or anything. She goes right in. I would have gotten to the I would have gotten the girl to the side and tipped her off. Wouldn't you appreciate being told under similar circumstances? Ian. Wow. None She's of us are addressing. You, none of us are addressing the charmin in the room. <laughs> I have been this girl. Yeah. I love the idea of being at a dance and then going chest to chest with somebody only to have it deflate slowly, like you're in a Will and Grace episode. <laughs> You mean like the water bra? Exactly, exactly. I'm like, that is too real. That episode is too real to me. That is a tragedy. These things just seem like a bad idea. Like if I were a woman, which I don't you know are. if I am, uh-huh. I know that I know if I'm doing something like that, it there's almost like a foreshadowing. Like I know that this is not going to end well for me. If I had a water bra... Mm-hmm. Or if I had stuffed it, I I know. Like Socks. I know, like if I stuffed my jock, I I would know immediately. Like I walk out of the building, wrong. and I know like it would be half down my leg, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's because you and I came from the school of this is a terrible idea. This is a terrible idea. We should do it anyway. We're gonna keep doing uh-huh. it. I'm gonna go for a run, but I'm gonna stuff my jock so it looks like I've got a 12 inch cock. My bra is stuffed right now. But the best part about stuffing with toilet paper is you always have something if you sneeze. Right. But then if you're sweating, don't you just look lumpy? Oh, yes. And it just dissolves. Like you just Wet get like toilet paper. I'm, and I'm always sweating. This is a terrible idea. This seems bad. I did a show in college called Girl Gone or Gone. Go- no, not Gone not Girl. Not Gone Girl. Girl, oh, girl Gone. <laughs> yes. It was a wacky <laughs> musical about a woman who eviscerates <laughs> men by the throat. Oh, I like that. Oh, and has a really sharp haircut. No, it was Gone Girl. Girl Gone. Girl Gone. <laughs> girl Gone was one of the girls. The girl, girl was gone, <laughs> goddammit. She's not here anymore. And I had to play a stripper. Uh, oh. And so they literally brought us to a strip club so that we could study the strippers, which, A, hysterical. If you it, haven't been it... to an upstate New York strip club at, at 11 in the morning, I really recommend doing, you see the cream of the crop at oh, that hour. Yeah, that's when it gets oh, real I, blue. I really bet. Ooh, that and all the guys great. are just sitting on the edge of the stage just looking at her more like she's they're her gynecologist than they're there for a good time. They're like, you should really get that mole checked out. What? Yeah, the guy's just weird. It was all creepy, but. Well, it's 11 a.m. Exactly. Why are What are you going to, the work? buffet isn't even open yet. 
smelled like coffee in there. That's weird. Is it a Saturday at least? I think it was midweek. At 11 a.m.? Yeah, I was, this was, I, I was in school. They literally brought us there to be like, here's strippers, study the strippers. So they had to pad the crap out of me because I'm a negative A cup right. training. And they put multiple, they're called cookies. Did you know that? When you put like pads in your bra, the term is called, I'm really, I'm touching my breasticles a I lot while they were I'm called looking cutlets. you in the eye. You can call them cutlets, but they're also called cookies. Mm-hmm. And cutlets, they whatever the food may be, mm-hmm. whatever delicious edible item, sure. I put three in each side. Six total cookies. Six total cookies. Mm-hmm. A Tate's Bonanza. A lot of Oreos. Tate's will uh-huh. crack. You can't put a lot of cutlets in there. No. And, that would have been a Chips Ahoy because at least they would have, you know, they were already damp. Yeah, but they crumble so easily. Well, yeah. Tate's, it's going to leave a mark. Tate's is, it is. They're very sharp and yes. painful. Yes. I find Oreos to be very <laughs> supportive. Great. So I had to lean forward doing the show and they had this one move that they wanted us to do, which was like you bring your hands up underneath your boobs and you like push them together. And I'm like, I'm working real hard, real too hard for working for free to try to do this. And you, they wanted you to like be in the audience, and it was all gritty and in Aaron, your, your breast looks like shoulder blades. <laughs> Why does it look like she's clucking? Why does her head move? Her head and neck move when she walks. And I pushed them together. And all the cookies just fell out onto this guy's lap. So he had like three bra inserts, six bra inserts. See, and of course, I'm thinking like, wow, he must have been like, that's amazing. <laughs> I've got six cookies, like literal cookies. Human pinata, magic yeah. trick. Are you hungry? Are you hungry, Ted? This strip is dropping things on me. Delicious cookies and hey, cutlets. I thought I was supposed to give her singles. Boop, boop. Yeah. It's a very dangerous thing when you stuff your bra. The story oh. never ends well. No. All right. It's been quite the event. I got us. We can do it. We can do this. Ready? Extend plie. It's time for Whoa. Instagram mail. Instagram mail. It's our You're 12 and on it's Instagram mail. So once you're done stretching and working on your feet and uh, your plies and your bends and your things, uh, write to us at DearPodOfficial on Instagram. Slide into our DMs with any advice, questions you may have, or you can email us, oldschooldearpodofficial at gmail.com. Doesn't it feel like email is asking someone to send up a smoke signal? It feels like it's such an ancient way of communicating. I have this fancy email I'm sending to you. So, dear official at gmail.com, we will answer your question on the air. Or we won't, or we'll just ignore you. But today, we have one question that I would like. Patois, would you please read it? Yes. Answer it. Here we go. Okay. Dear Pot, is there an age where you just shouldn't try new things? I've always wanted to be one of the greatest tappers, like Gene Kelly or Fred Astaire, but I just never took a class for one reason or another. Now I'm in my 50s and want to start taking lessons. My husband thinks I'm nuts and will probably break a hip. Do you know of a good place to, su- to start? Signed, Singing in Lorraine, Wisconsin. Dear Singing, The only thing that's ever too old is B. Arthur's underwear. If you want to tap like you're in 42nd Street, then I say go for it. Listen, after Dirty Dancing came out, how many in the 50-plus crowd wanted to be Johnny's baby and try the jump? 
Some completed that successfully, while others knew their limits and opted not to faceplant on their living room floor. When the Lombada came out, you know, the forbidden dance, how many rushed out to take lessons? When strip tees came out, how many ran to pole dance classes thinking they would look like Demi Moore, despite looking like Dudley Moore? You've got one life to live, unless you're Shirley MacLaine, of course. If you want to take that <laughs> class, do it. If you want to reenact the good morning routine from singing in the rain and snap your neck going tits over ass on the couch, that's your call. You don't let anyone steal your sunshine. And as someone tries to, pour them a nice tall glass of go kill yourself and throw your tap shoes in that little sports sack of yours and get tapping. I'm sure there are plenty of tap classes in your town. In fact, I checked it out. There are a few. Hold me closer, tiny tapper on Madison and Elm. Tap it like it's hot right next door to the Hungry Jockstrap on Main Street or Teddy's Topless Tap and Triage in Lorraine, right by the old courthouse. Many offer discounts for seniors, and I bet there are a few actors offering private lessons somewhere in your town. I'm sure if you'll be living your Bugsby Berkeley dreams faster than you can say, this doesn't smell right. Remember, it's all about having fun and getting out there. As I said to Rochelle from Sheboygan, take a lot of deep breaths and try to relax. Don't try to take it in all at once. Find a focus point on the ceiling. You may need to stop and start again, and that's okay. He can wait. It really doesn't matter what he looks like. Ugh. Anyway, happy tapping. But just because it hurts doesn't mean you're gonna die. Gotta get up and try, try, try. Just because you're in a basement and you don't know his name. <laughs> Those pole dancing classes are very difficult and a very good workout. I would like to do it if I didn't feel like an asshole. But don't you remember, like, everyone was just, like, something comes out. And oh, then yeah, that's the newest trend of, like, yes. It's absolutely. Burlesque does it. I'm going. I'm going to go take burlesque classes. But, I mean, it's not, you're not, like, in the 50 crowd. But, like, all, like, the older, like, I think it was, like, on Donahue or something when I was growing up. Like, Dirty Dancing came out. And, like, and now it's time for the Current rage of dirty dancing, and then you just see all these people, and you're like, "What is Absolutely. happening?" Absolutely, and that's funny. And you know, the sad part is, even as a kid, when I saw that movie, my the person I connected with most was Viv, that older woman that kept trying to <laughs> seduce Johnny. I was like, "Now that's a gal I can connect with right there." Well, I know, you can her keep deal. your baby, and you can keep the sister, and you can keep Penny, Day but this chick right here. She's like, she knows how to get it. She's sending Mel away for the week while she gets to play with Johnny. Uh Here's what Anne has to say to Lorraine, Wisconsin. Dear Lorraine, you want to know how old is too old to try something new? I'm going to tell you the short answer I gave Jules when he asked me to wear split crotch panties. Never! You are never too old for new things. And anyone who tells you otherwise is an asshole. The next time your husband wants to naysay because of the number on your driver's license, point to the litany of people who achieved success by starting something after 40. Ray Kroc didn't open his first McDonald's until he was 52. Sam Walton opened his first Walmart when he was 44. Harlan Sanders gave the world his patented heart attack-inducing fried chicken when he was 65. Without these three men following their heart, you wouldn't have a damaged one. And where would you go to buy cheap leggings and guns after a Big Mac and pot pie at 3 a.m.? The answer, nowhere. Rodney Dangerfield was 46 when he was discovered. Imagine never knowing the joy of your uncle quoting, I don't got no respect every Thanksgiving if Rodney chose to sit it out because he was too old. 
Or your aunt's Julia Child impression that makes your eyes roll to the back of your skull. That wouldn't exist if Julia didn't tell the French, fuck off, I'm writing a cookbook at 49. Without people who bucked this archaic idea that if it hasn't happened at a certain age, it won't happen at all, we wouldn't have the Zagat Guide, or Zip Cars, or The Gap, or Vera Wang Wedding Gowns, or the exhausting comedy stylings of Joy Behar. Not all of us are creepy-ass Mark Zuckerberg sitting on our dorm room developing stalker software that would eventually make grown-ass people everywhere feel bad about themselves. Some of us need to age like fine wine before the, we let the world drink us in. I hate myself for what I'm about to say, but if I may quote my least favorite home goods pillow, follow your bliss! Denying yourself your dream may be denying the world the next geriatric Gene Kelly. Your husband has no idea if you are on the Susan Boyle trajectory. His job is not to judge a dream, it's to support it. So get out those tap shoes, Francis. Julian Marsh is doing a show! Good luck, you old son of a bitch. And if you break a hip, I never gave you this advice, and I will testify to that in a court of law. Eh. Pod, and we are very, very excited to introduce today's very special guest. From stage to screen, her diverse career has spanned decades. Now, TV audiences may remember for her from Curb Your Enthusiasm, The Good Wife, the Emmy-nominated After Forever, and, and my personal favorite as a guest judge on Iron Chef. She is a renowned Broadway performer, most notably for her Tony-nominated performance in Will Rogers' Follies and her Tony-winning performance as Ula in The Producers. And recently, she has been delving into directing and writing, producing her own web series on YouTube called Katie Did. Please, everybody, give a warm dear pod welcome to Katie Huffman! Well, I've worked with her. I know that chick. She's pretty sassy. Welcome oh, to like the her. pod, yes, baby. Welcome. Oh, we are so you. honored to have you here to talk about the subject of the dance. Well, I'm thrilled to talk about the subject of the dance. Because, <laughs> you know, I am a dancer. I don't know. but And I do teach for the Vernon Fossey uh, legacy every once in a while. Because oh, I was also well, a Fossey, Fossey dancer, dancer before he died. Um, so, and I, that's all sort of gearing up again in my life, sort of, nice. oh, maybe that is something I actually did. So I, I love talking about it. And ballet was absolutely my first lover. So, now I love when people say they were a dancer that, because I think you're a dancer. The second that you are a dancer, you were a dancer for your life, but they always say, oh, I was a dancer. Like at a certain age, they take your legs away. Right. Like you're not supposed <laughs> now, to do it anymore. Yeah, it's a, it's that kind of thing where because you can't do it at the level you loved, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that it, beca- it it definitely changes, you know? So it, it's hard to say, you know, it's like Joe Montana, does he, I guess he's still a quarterback, but he doesn't still play quarterback. Oh, you but know? I'd pay good money to see that. You'd crack oh, him honey. in half. Or Please put the <laughs> tight pants back on, you know? <laughs> Please, for the people. Uh, well, let's start at the very beginning. When did you start the dance? Uh, I believe right out of the womb. 
Okay. But uh, wow. my Your mother, my mother, mother yeah, that yeah, my mother claims, <laughs> you know, I was not a, I was not a fat baby. I was a long, thin baby with a neck. Wow, that is an a visual image that I will never get rid of. And here, hello. Yeah, not cute, <laughs> but lovely nonetheless. But not cute. Um, but she said I pretty much came out dancing and begged her for ballet classes. I, 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 a man who ended up being my ballet teacher came to my preschool and did a dance, you know, a little thing with the kids. And afterwards, he asked my mother where I had been studying. And she said, she hasn't studied. He's like, well, that's crazy because she's a dancer. <gasps> so I begged and begged and begged. My mom actually had danced at the School of American Ballet. She grew up in New Rochelle. So she had had a lot of, you know, she had studied and she was a singer, an actor, a dancer as well. But now she was mom. She, I mean, I didn't know any of this until much later in my life. Uh, so she did not put me into ballet class as much as I begged until my seventh birthday because uh, she found Mr. and Mrs. Hanlon who uh, they had each danced in American Ballet Theater and New York City Ballet. So they were, they had been in business a few years. She liked what they had to sell. She did not like where my little friends were taking ballet. She would not let me do that. So eventually my seventh birthday, I, I, I was gifted ballet classes. And she told me, if they yell at you, it means they like you. <laughs> I'm going to hold on to that for the stand-up yeah. world. It'll make me feel better about myself. <laughs> exactly. Oh means they la- At least you're having an effect on them. If they're boo, that means they're clapping. Yeah. <laughs> it's noise. Just as noise. Noise we is noise. noise. I'll take it. Noise is love. <laughs> yeah, noise is as love. Yes. But it was true. You know, if they really didn't care about your progress, they were pretty quiet. But if, you know, if I would put in the, the time and, and, uh, and my ballet teacher, Mr. Hanlon, Bobby, Bob Hanlon would say, ah, Katie took a Chevy body and turned it into a Mercedes. You know, I had to work very hard at ballet and I loved it. Were you, I feel like I remember you telling this story because I was, I had the honor of working with Miss Katie Huffman at the 92nd Street Y. We Such did. a cool, uh, For what? it was called, um. To, here's to the ladies or something. It here's was basically to the dames or something. The dames. It was like a dames? old school Hollywood ladies songs, yeah. and they in um, Charles Bush. Charles Bush was like the MC Our of narrator the evening. And writer, yeah. It was amazing, and uh, Carl Andrus directed it, and he put together this crackerjack team of ladies that were just. It was so cool to share the dressing room with these, like. Tony winners and nominees and like the talent in the room. And then there's like chachi little me. I don't know. Every day I was like, I don't know. They, they, they left the back door open and I just walked right in. He wandered in. We had no idea where she came from, but we never questioned. The talent (laughs) is that good. All the walls were missing. I was just delivered in an egg, you know? That's it. There she, she arrived. We needed her and there she was. And I feel like I remember you telling a story about, to train your feet to point, you would go to sleep at night and tape them to the footboard of your bed? No, no. Am I crazy? <laughs> then who You're the crazy. hell was that? No, Wait. I don't know who that was, but don't listen. Oh, my God. Somebody said. How many oh, people have you told that, that story was. to? Now it's that's, like, I don't yeah, know. That's, I've been like, Katie Huffman would tape her feet to the bed. I don't feet. know to make them, make them point. I'm going to, whoever this is, <clears> if they're listening, find me. No, there was no tape involved, but I would shove them under the couch. 
so that the toes stayed down and then straighten my legs so that they'd be forced yes, to stretch. that force point. Oh. Wow. Was ballet your first kind of intro, your intro drug to the world of the dance? Uh, uh, well, as I said, I, I, you know, apparently I came out doing this um, to the world of the dance. I went to shows and then I'd come home and, you know, redo them i did apparently i did swan lake at a very young age you know knowing oh. <laughs> what i was doing I, my mother said that i interpreted it as oh i know what this is about they're all tooth fairies and that one's too old to go out and deliver the money so it's all about <laughs> i would totally wow. buy that synopsis yeah. if you right? put that in the liner notes 100 percent. i think it works that's right yeah yeah cool but yeah i'd say that's the first formal dance training i had been in acting workshops and and you know singing and all that stuff but yeah my first really strict dance training yeah you know i was um i did have a question i don't mean to jump ahead but i'm going to i can do it so a lot of people have said that when they work with Fosse that it's for it's like very visceral like it's you know everyone you know they they talk about how difficult or what have you what is what did you find the difference between say um being choreographed by Fosse versus Stroman because people are like oh it's a lot more fun um it's a totally different experience when um people have talked about it how um like they have to create these characters for Fosse that, that you're not just like a dancer, like everything has Absolutely. to be very like, like layered within you. Yeah. Um, well, I tell people, you know, cause I was in the, ense- it's such a different experience to be in the, in the ensemble of a Broadway show or be a principal in a Broadway show. So when I work with Susan, utterly a different experience and it was much more collaborative and um, you know, focusing on my strengths. Mm-hmm. Whereas when, you know, the hardest job on Broadway is being a, in the in the ensemble where you have to do whatever they ask and be able to do it and jump in and be eager and there was nobody better than bob uh to be eager for like there was never a moment where i felt that he was asking me to do something just for the sake of doing it he Mm. absolutely made me a better actor you you get out there you have responsibility you're expected it's like i always say his his movement is very specific but it is not uniform Mm -hmm. like he never expected us to look like a uniform unit he expected us to do his movement and be individuals particularly in the job in the show that i did Mm -hmm. Uh, but even when i watch the rich man's frug from charity or anything else even though it is he, he just loved hiring people with who were individuals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he did not expect to have a ballet chorus where everyone was trying to look exactly alike. So yeah, he definitely made me a much better actor, gave us more responsibility than I was accustomed to. Mm-hmm. And in the ballet world, because ballet, there's right and wrong. Mm. And in Fosse world, it is, there's definitely right and wrong, but in a completely different manner. Um, I had zero problems with Bob, like zero. Mm-hmm. I, I always said, if you worked hard, he loved you. I worked hard. I couldn't have, uh, I just wanted to work harder and harder. When you see something like all that jazz, which of course I had seen before I worked for him and you see those dancers do that 
amazing presentation for producers of take off with us and by the end they're just breathing and sweaty and they're looking at him like what next mm -hmm. and that's exactly what i experienced like his movements are uh when directed by him mm -hmm. or somebody who can really draw yeah you know he, he signed all of his pieces you know it was so he was such an important element of his movement. And that's what we're trying to um, infuse into this new generation. Because yeah. he's, not, he's not here. Gwen's not here. Now even Annie's gone. So uh, we have us left, the people who really danced for him. And, and um, we're trying. And when you watch the, the Fosse miniseries, mm -hmm. And you first, particularly the first couple where you see the dance movements, those are set by, you know, Valerie Pettiford, Lloyd Culbreth, and Dana Moore, who are the, the premier dancers who teach his stuff. And they really do. You can see it particularly in Michelle Williams. Somehow she knew what Gwen Verdon was thinking while she danced, much less than could do what Gwen Verdon did, which was she was extraordinary athlete and trained dancer. What Michelle really cued into was beautiful movement, but she somehow knew what Gwen was thinking. Mm. And that's, it's a, he was definitely a thinking person's choreographer. I'm fascinated by the Fosse stuff. And, and also, you know, you're so much a part of the theater and dance legacy and history. I mean, it's wild to think, but you're in history books and that's, it's just amazing. <laughs> when, when you grew up, yeah. you grew up in California. I did. Santa Barbara, California, born and raised. I'm curious about Beautiful. why you skipped the fourth grade, according to your Wikipedia. Right. Is that what it says? Because I skipped the third grade, Dan. Oh, well, get um, it right, Wiki. Actually, I didn't skip. I was supposed to skip third grade, but my mom kept me back because there was a bilingual program. She wanted me to stay in that. And what I actually did was did fifth and sixth grade in the same year. That's actually what happened. So what? I didn't, you know. You're a smarty. Yeah. Oh my God. I, well, I don't know what happened. <laughs> Somewhere along the, the way. The, the pages were stuck together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've never been smarter than I was in the sixth grade, truthfully. You peaked, clearly. <laughs> obviously. I, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah. when did you move to New York? Um, <laughs> boy, I got, some, I got some stories, you know? Oh, this well, is, this is the thing. I feel like you have so many stories and I've told you that you need to write a book about these because you also came up in theater in a really interesting time. It was like in the midst of the AIDS crisis. And I just feel like yeah. there's so many, you're so rich with stories. I'm rich with stories. Baby. I am that old turd with the stories, you know, it's like, turd. I, I, I've, been, I've been around for a long time. And there's her title. Turd. There's the yeah. title of your book. She just won't I, flush. <laughs> old story. turd keeps popping to the top, you know? She keeps rolling around that bowl. She keeps floating. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so this the question stuff. was what? The question, when did you move to New York and start to oh, uh, pursue? Okay. Can you want to know? like the three times I moved to New York. Yes. Or four times, really oh. four times. Well, the first time I got a ballet scholarship. So I lived in Manhattan when I was 16 Ooh. for the summer. Oh God. So I actually lived up in Westchester with my cousin, Jetta, who's like a second mother to me. And I commuted down to take uh, classes with um, Melissa Hayden. I had a scholarship with Melissa Hayden. And that's when I got introduced to like Luigi da Jazz. <gasps> oh and my other God. Yeah, other really 
extraordinary (laughs) teachers of ballet and everything else. Um, And then when I was 19, uh, I moved to New York to rehearse the first national tour of La Cage aux Folles. Mm -hmm. So I lived, yet another story, but I lived in this apartment with my good friend, Julie White, who had um, lived with me when I was still a senior in high school. She was a guest artist and they put her up in my house with a twin bed in my bedroom with like my... (laughs) Barishnikov posted pom-poms <laughs> and ballet shoes. So I went and lived with her in this, you know, crazy little apartment on Thompson Street where the bath was in the kitchen. You know, there was a curtain with oh, a sure. shower and a door with the toilet. That is so beaches. Could not have been happier. You know, oh, I just thought yeah. that was the coolest place to live. Um, and as it turns out, you know, after there was uh, Julie who went on to win a Tony award for the little dog laugh myself who went on to win a Tony award. Uh, John Benjamin Hickey moved in later who also went on to win a Tony award. What is this address? And how can I know available now? The person who moved in after John was Philip Seymour Hoffman. Are you kidding me? There was something going on. We're going to go find (laughs) the apartment. I don't know what kind of vortex is in that (laughs) toilet, but I want that place. There'll be three adults living in this apartment. Are you it kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. I've always wanted to do some sort of um, fix, fictionalization of what happens in one place that, you know, we were all children when we lived there. We were, and then we went on, but for some reason, everybody we all starts went on. There. For, yeah, everybody starts in this shitty little apartment. Oh God, the, I would the village, fight a bitch for that Soho. apartment. Yeah. I know, right? I know. It was fantastic. And then, so I did... I mean, to be technical, we started out as the first national tour of La Cage. We went to San Francisco, and then we sat in Los Angeles for about nine months, and we became the Los Angeles company. And then there was another tour that went out as the first national tour. So it gets a little confusing when people are like, "Oh, somebody worked with you." He was in like that different different company. Mm. But anyway, so I did the Los Angeles company of La Cage. I was a teenage drag queen in that, oh, and yeah. then uh, I. I did a lot of music videos. I was living in Los Angeles, living with my boyfriend. Who told me that was a good idea at 18 to live with your boyfriend? Oh, welcome you to welcome you to our did. podcast where we say this is a bad idea. Let's do it anyway. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We support you in your bad decisions. Yeah, this wow. can't be right. I'll mm-hmm. do it. I mean, it, I, I look back and go, I'm sorry, 18-year-olds are basically fetus. Yes. Correct. It's like. So such babies, but I lived with my boyfriend, was doing music videos because that was the advent of music videos. Yeah, uh, but then at, uh, at 20 years old, I got a call from New York saying, you know, the woman who, who originated my role, my character in Lacage is leaving. Would you come and you want to be on Broadway? And I, you know, 20 years old, terrified, not from a lucrative background, like I'm literally making piles of money in my drawer to as a budget, you know, I can spend <laughs> that on Monday and that on Tuesday. But I was about to say that you left that sweet music video life. <laughs> I did. <laughs> well, and the funny thing is, I said, uh, it was Stuart Howard. He called me. Would you like to come do the Broadway production? I said, I'll call you right back. And because I really was so scared, really? you know, 20 years old, no guidance. And I, like, I could totally imagine being on Broadway, completely not nervous about that. What made me nervous was how do I move to New York? You know, really? how does a child 
move to New York and find an apartment and do, you know, do all those things, those grown up sounding things. Five minutes later, I called him back and said, of course. And I bought like a set of luggage and a, and a, and a, uh, and a trunk. Oh my God. And you're all- that girl. You are that girl who got off the bus with her luggage and set it down and said, hello, New York. <laughs> to uh, three bucks, two bags, one me. <laughs> you are. You're you're star to be. Oh my god! It's, that story is based on you. It's mine. Uh, also, not uh, for nothing. You know I, what? I like when that. People- you, but Go the ahead. fact that you're like, how am I going to move to New York? As she's in a, an apartment with her boyfriend at eighteen. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> yeah, how right, I can well, make that big. Believe me, that was not like well thought out. <laughs> <laughs> So I came to New York and uh, got put into Lacage, which there just really is not a funner, a more fun uh, show to do backstage. Like was that at the Palace? Those, that was at the Palace. So I, I did the show that closed the Palace, and then I did the show that opened the Palace, which was Will Rogers' Follies. Ziegfeld's favorite in that. Yeah. And that uh-huh. was a Tony, your first Tony nomination. What was that whole process like? And also, I, I'd like for people to hear what the audition process is like for something like this. Because I, I think a lot of people who are listening don't understand like what a dance call is like. And trust me, I have wet my pants in several of them. <laughs> well, for Will Rogers, I, it, I didn't go to a dance call. I went to a principal call. And uh, I'm again, I went as a singer. They were looking for a soubrette and a showgirl. And a soubrette is an opera term for sort of a, a mischief making soprano coloratura. And I was like, screw being a showgirl, I'm going to go in as the soubrette. Mm-hmm. So I went in uh, and sang Adele's Laughing Song from Deflator Mouse and, uh, and pretty much got cast like Tommy Common and Green and Peter Stone were like that's our girl uh, and Cy Coleman said I'm not sure she can belt so I had to go to his office and um, he put before me handwritten Willamania which would be the song I would eventually sing and I sight read it and then he said okay now sing it like Ethel Merman well Willamania so I did like my best, <laughs> best Ethel Merman impersonation he looked at me like i was crazy i don't want you to sing it like ethel merman just belt it okay okay we'll be more specific thanks yeah i'm a very very literal girl um but directable (laughs) yeah exactly i'll do it Uh sure uh she's game Uh, yeah so that was it for that one that wasn't a huge audition process uh and i got to once i was cast i got to also read with people who were auditioning to play betty betty blake the, mm-hmm. the wife so you know they stood us next to each other and i saw some fantastic women 
um, that I got to play with. So I got to see what the mistakes people made. And I got to see, you know, Dee Hody, who played the role, come in and just, you know, knock the socks off. Uh, so I had a, it was a beautiful experience doing that audition. Uh, yeah, I mean, mostly. Uh, I don't find a long audition processes are necessarily my strong suit. Mm -hmm. It's like you either want me or you don't. And, you know, people like Mel Brooks, Susan Stroman, Tommy too. <laughs> Fortunately, they're the ones who want me. So. Wow. <laughs> Which leads us perfectly into the producers. The <sighs> Which I did not audition for. Oh. So there you go. Oh my God. What, they just called what? you up? What, this is well, infuriating. It's infuriating. <laughs> I know. My, my story sucks. Um, I didn't even have an agent when I got that show. Let's leave. Oh, Let's my <laughs> gosh. You're out. I've never Sorry. instantly gotten so angry Disconnect. and had such Drop faith all at once. <laughs> no. no, it's great. Go on. Then I found a bucket of money on the way. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, that it's a very inspiring story. Wow. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Um, there was a very powerful casting office called Johnson Lift Casting. Aaron, you might remember that. Yeah, you yeah. might be old enough. Patrick's probably not old enough to remember the them. Oh, age. my God. He's older than me what? and more disgusting. Well, see, I, the thing is, Aaron, you still look like a 13-year-old boy, but I know how old you are. <laughs> you know? Ah! Like, so I look I, like one, too. Yeah, I'm aware <laughs> of them. I am aware of this company. It was before I got to the city. I think it was right on the edge. Didn't they also do Les Mis? Yeah, they miss Phantom of the Opera. I mean, they really were like the singers, uh, you know, if you were a, a serious singer yeah. uh, into the, the woods, uh, you know, that's, you went to an audition for them. They never saw me for anything. Uh, it, but Vinny, Vinny Liff, may he rest in peace, had introduced himself to me in Joe Allen when I was doing the Will Rogers Follies. He's like, oh, are you Katie Huffman? I'm Vinny Liff. And my, you know, pissy 26-year-old brain was like, you don't, you never see me for anything. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, a little bitter. And he's <laughs> like, I'm a big, I'm, I'm a big fan. And, you know, I just wanted to make sure I met you. And I was like, meh, 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 meh. <laughs> and then, you know, and then eight years later, I've moved, I've gotten married. I've moved to San Diego. Uh, I'm commuting to Los Angeles. I'm miserably sort of subsisting in Los Angeles. And I get a call from Vinny Liff. And he says, Katie, I think you should fly yourself to New York to audition to be the standby for Karen Ziemba and Deb Monks in Steel Pier. Now, at this point, I already had a Tony nomination. And he's asking me to come audition to cover these two women. I said, I'll be right there. <laughs> Ah. <laughs> so I did. Wow, that was a misdirect. Wow. I did not see that yeah. coming. Yeah, that was a left <laughs> so turn. I yeah. flew myself to New York and auditioned, and I got that job covering those two wonderful performers. And my husband at the time, um, he's from Philadelphia, so we knew we wanted to move back east anyway. So it was it. I came, and the show didn't last very long on Broadway, and I never had to go on. Thank God, kind of terrible understudy. But um, <laughs> but it got me to New York during a during a commercial strike where I was making a lot of commercials back then. So I was during a strike. It's when I worked for Dame Edna, you know. Oh, so I got right. to dance for Dame Edna, oh. which was awesome. Um, and then I got another call from Vinny saying, uh, Katie. Uh, Mel Brooks has written a new musical based on his movie, The Producers. 
which I had just watched. And um, he and Susan Stroman would like to know if you have any interest in doing a reading of it. And, uh, uh, you know, in my 35 year old brain or 34, whatever I was at that point, I was thinking of the, the original movie where a 19 year old Ula dances in a bikini, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm thinking, oh my God, dance bikini but unlike the <laughs> unlike the lacage story where i hung up i just said yes i'll do it and in my brain i think i will just figure this out you know i'll just figure out how to get into a bikini so uh he said bring me everything you have from the will rogers follies any press that you have because back then there was no internet so i had to fit i was living in jersey city because that's where we could afford to live i put stuff into an envelope and physically brought it to Vinny in the city Wow. And like the next day, he called and said, Susan and Mel would like you to do this reading, these readings. We're doing two readings for backers. So we had like four or five days of rehearsal. And it was Nathan, Nathan, Gary Beach, the wonderful Gary Beach uh, and myself, who all ended up and Jennifer Smith. We all ended up in the original cast. Uh, we did these two, we did like four days of rehearsals. And then we did these two industry readings and, you know, Anne Bancroft was about three feet off my left knee. Oh my and God. then it's just suits, you know, and if you've done, sounds like maybe you two have done some backer auditions for these suits mm -hmm. in the past. Yeah. They can be less than kind. Um, but these guys were laughing their asses off, just like purple in the face laughing. So after the first reading, um, apparently Rocco Landisman, who was the head of your Jamson at the time, came right up to Mel and offered the St. James on the spot. Oh like, my God. Like, cool. Yeah. yeah. And then after the second reading, Mel came up to me and said, kid, when it goes, you're in. So that was it. That was my auditioning experience with oh no agent or oh anything. Just Vinny Liff. I have Vinny Liff and Vinny died a few years later and, um, uh, yeah, and I was in his will to sing at his uh, his memorial service with several other performers who he was fond of. And oh. I have really it all to all. It's all Vinny Liff for remembering me t a decade earlier, which, as I'm going to say, is the the I hope is the inspiring part of the story is do your best work. You just never know who's watching. You know, you just never know. And it took me all those years for Johnson and Lyft to know that they had the right jobs for me. Oh my God, they... I got chills. This is wild. I never knew the story. How yeah. cool is that? And then now you're yeah. nominated for a Tony for your performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was crazy. Well, I mean, it's, it, did I you mean, know that it was going to be the juggernaut that it was? Well, of course not. At the, of course not. You know, um, uh, but I got to tell you that the, the, the script never changed. It was always perfect. I mean, there were some shavings of lines here and there, but mm -hmm. it virtually didn't change. You know, Mel had taken 30 years to uh, make his, what he would call improvements to his Academy Award winning <laughs> movie, yes. um, you know, and changed it a bit. And um, so it was always perfect. Uh, and we did Oh God, it was just way too much fun. Out, you know, when we were in Chicago, it was just way too much fun. We all lived in the same building as the theater. So it was like this giant camp, yeah. like producer's camp. <laughs> uh, you know, just like a constant party because there were not significant changes going into the show. Uh, not on 
our end, you know, Gary Beach actually during springtime for Hitler, they kept on rewriting this one section to the, I was just a paper hanger, no one more obscure. But he had all these different versions of that. And so every night he was pretty much doing a different version of, of the middle of springtime. But otherwise um, we were having uh, a ball and we were selling out and they were starting to scalp tickets in Chicago. So you know, we're all just like, Woof, this is crazy. And then we start hearing about New York and we're apparently setting ticket sales records oh. in New York and we're not even there yet. Jesus. So less than, I, it was not, it, it did not give us confidence. <laughs> it made us go, oh shit, how do we live up to this hype? Yeah. Can we do this? So it really brought us closer together and the, you know, the Nathan and Matthew are both theater animals. You know, they've, they've been there before. They've done it. They were both Tony winners at that point. Marjorie Bart was a Tony winner. Uh, Gary and I were each uh, Tony nominees at this point. So we'd all been there um, and knew how wrong it could go, you know? <laughs> so, so we were Healthy a little cynicism. terrified. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we were we were a little bit terrified. And, um, you know, a lot of people got uh, sick. And we, you know, it was like, it was actually quite stressful and wonderful all at the same time. Um, and then, but it brought us all much closer together. And, and when you have stars that work so hard and that are, you know, so generous, it, it just goes down to everybody. The last person in the ensemble, you're the newest person, the 20 year old who's doing her first Broadway show. You just see how to do it with some sort of grace and humility. It was extraordinary. It was a lot of adrenaline. I slept maybe four or five hours a night, but I would make myself lay down for eight hours because it was just like a constant. On. And then a lot of shit happened that first year too. You know, I mean, we won all those awards and 9-11 happened and, you know, there was a lot that went into that year, uh, that first year of the producers. That is wild. I, I watched your Tony speech the other day. In yeah. study, but I do. You, I win every time. Uh, you do. I, I every time I watch it, it's a surprise. I was like, didn't it's know. Like Titanic. Did, oh my god! <laughs> it was. I mean, I just. I'd like to hear what that experience was like to be at the time. I remember you talking about the jewelry that you had to wear and the fact that you had a security guard just for your earrings. They were I mean, enormous. That, yeah. I mean, that is those <laughs> earrings. It's like you know. It's like this. Like, what are you putting a massive giant. pineapple up to his ear? I mean, just were, diamonds. That was that was like some. Did you like? Hey, I just watched Dynasty last night, and what I want is Diane Carroll's earrings. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell you what the actual story is. Yeah, it's all Harry Winston diamonds. So I'm, I have these stacked bracelets, and then these chandelier earrings. They were Harry Winston made those uh, earrings. They were replicas of. Marilyn Monroe's favorite earrings, but hers were paste. <gasps> so he made her paste chandeliers into diamond chandeliers. Oh my God. So that's yeah. what I was wearing. And, you know, just like, <laughs> so I had a little armed guard with me the whole night, uh, $1.4 million worth of diamonds on oh, my body. Wow. And, uh, and then we, I lost him because I, I won. 
So I go up on stage, I accept my award, they take me back to press, and I've lost my armed guard at this point. So apparently he's gone into mode of where is she, where is she? And I have to perform. I I, I win the award, I do a couple of interviews, and then I have to go change into Ula and perform. So I'm wearing all, I take off these, all these jewels in my dresser and I kind of look at all these diamonds. She just scoops them up, puts them in in her apron and I go perform. And in the meantime, the armed guard did finally find me. I, I I, I I could not have been happier to return something than I was to return those. Diamonds. Oh my God. But the thing was, he tackled you in the middle of your performance. Yeah, yeah like, exactly. Where are the, exactly. Where are the, the diamonds, bodyguard. Katie? Where are the if diamonds? You look real hard, you see a man with a gun. <laughs> Kevin Costner off on the oh side. Oh my God. That must have been, I mean, what a wild experience to sit in the audience and then have your name called to win a Tony. You shot up like out of a cannon. Yeah. And you were Absolutely. just so like. Just flew electric. up there yeah. and then. I remember turning around and seeing all those people in Radio City, you know, the 6,000 people in Radio City. And then you realize, oh, not only are there 6,000 people, there's wallpaper that makes it look like more people. Like there's just like <laughs> people everywhere. Oh my God. Um, yeah, it was pretty awesome. It's pretty great. Well, now what's cool is that you've recently started. I mean, you've been on TV a whole bunch of times, made a whole bunch of appearances. You were Emmy, Emmy nominated correctly twice twice yeah for was it the same daytime, the same? daytime emmy nominations two daytime emmy nominations for a web series yeah called after forever and then it inspired you to create your own thing which i, I had already created it oh before yeah, this it happened. all okay. yeah yeah it all happened sort of at the same time uh yeah so we did on katie did it was done you know indiegogo 302 of my friends donated five to a thousand dollars and we were able to make katie did first season and i'm and then the pandemic hit, you know, so, yeah, it was so we right have before. not done a second. Se- yeah, it was right before. Oh, my God. Are you going to do a second season? You know, it, it, who knows? It's it's hard to do, you know, shoestring budget. Yeah. Work, oh. I don't know, you know what you're talking about. This scrappy <laughs> upstart of a podcast yeah. Yeah. doesn't None know what you're know. talking about. But that's what we all have to do now. Everybody needs to be a self-starter and and create your own opportunities you and create your own creative endeavors. And Absolutely. It's exhausting. And when, when young people ask me, what do I do? I say, you start creating. You have a phone, shoot it. Yeah. If you have an idea, shoot it. Shoot your friends. Keep shooting your friends. It sounds terrible. Keep but, shooting so, your friends. You know? Keep shooting. <laughs> you heard Keep it. Keep shooting until they can't take it anymore. Katie yeah. made me do it. Yeah. Katie until made you me get, do it. But, yeah, truly, until you get better. You know, it's like, you know, I see a lot of bad stuff on the internet. And you hear about some very famous people who just started shooting their stories. And of course they're bad to begin with. Yeah. And then they get better. You got to start somewhere. Yeah. I I know you, Aaron, I know what a go-getter you are. Um, It's like, yeah, you get better the more you do it. So just keep doing it. That's exhausting, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I say on my fifth bar show this week. Yeah. 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 I, I'm curious before we before we wrap things up because just because I'm obsessed with this and, and because I've never really gotten to talk to you about this, Katie okay. was a guest judge on Iron Chef. I read that. I, yeah. I I watched the episodes. Like I am obsessed with how this came to be. Are you a foodie? How did this happen? 
Well, it's Iron Chef America, firstly, because they're, the original is the Japanese Iron Chef. That would be Iron great Chef. if they flew you yeah. there. <clears throat> oh, my God. And it's that, that's like, that program is awesome. It's all dubbed. <laughs> you know, it's all it. dubbed. Yeah. An actress slash, you know, psychic. Well, I never taste anything so soft in my mouth. You know, <laughs> she, I mean, some of the great TV moments are on Iron Chef. And I think in Bobby play competed on that original one uh-huh. um and then when it came time to do it here in the united states you know there were no food competition shows on television believe it or not it was the first one and this young friend of mine it's his first chance at producing something i'm in the producers and he says katie you're kind of a celebrity will you come on our show oh my god what a pitch. And I said, I basically <laughs> said, you know, free food. He said, yes. I said, I'm there. And then, you know, for 10 seasons, I just ate food critically. Um, why am I qualified? I mean, I'd been eating for about 37 years. So I <laughs> I, you know, you know I, how to uh, chew I grew and up swallow. in an Italian. Yeah, <laughs> I, I grew up in an Italian home. We always ate fresh food. I traveled all over the world and eaten in several different countries. Um, and I learned a lot, you know, it was just a great education. So by like the eighth, by the eighth season or so, the, the host is finally like, well, you're really starting to sound like a foodie, you know? Oh my God. But, um, Uh, out of curiosity, you did 10 seasons with them? Like I did, I did 10 seasons, but you know, you don't do all the shows. I mean, you cannot eat two of those shows. A oh day. my God. They they'd be greasing the doorways. My God. <laughs> oh, you just, I mean, I've done two in a row and it is, I didn't, I, I came, I did think I did um, chocolate in the, in the, in the afternoon and then came back and did cheese in the morning. Oh my <laughs> God. God. Oh, Patrick, this is your nightmare. <laughs> Pass the Miralax, please. <laughs> I need to clear this tunnel oh, out. Oh, there's not enough yeah. Pepsi in the world that would get me through Oh my it. God. It who, was amazing. Who was your, you can, this is a safe space. Yeah. Who was your favorite chef? Well, uh, I'll tell you the biggest, well, I have a couple of crushes. I'll say Morimoto, his knife skills are oh. sexy. Oh, oh wow. Uh, uh, beautiful, beautiful knife skills. <laughs> and um, Michael Simon is sort of like the boy next door, great laugh, sweetheart of a guy who I just, you know, my heart goes pitter patter for. Uh-huh. And I, and of course their food is great. Um, I guess I don't really have a favorite favorite cause they all come up with different things. And then you get to know the, the, uh, the chefs so well um, that then they, they know too, that they better come up with something different because uh, you know, a squirt of green on the plate and you know, is not going to cut it anymore. You know, Bobby is a, a really fun chef, a really adventurous chef, and a really like fearless chef. Uh, but I, I'm going to go with Michael because I just have such a crush on him. And he yeah. did a couple, he did two things that I remember that sort of just blew me away. And they're the two things that stick with me as memories of the show. So it's probably Michael Simon. Um, you have been such an amazing guest. It's been so awesome to talk to you and just hear like all the different things that you've achieved, accomplished, created for yourself. This this life that you have that has been so long 
and luscious. So long. So long. <laughs> this, you are so, you're so old Ooh, now. Girl, you're old. You've been in this game <laughs> for a long gem time. in the baby. ocean at the end. <laughs> I know, I loved it when you threw the heart of the ocean. <laughs> but I survived the Titanic. That was the yes. highlight. I, I tell you yes. what. All went down. And I dropped Jack in the ocean. The hell with that <laughs> guy. The hell with Bye-bye, Leonardo Jack. DiCaprio. You have been such a fantastic guest. Tell our listeners where they can find you. Uh, katydid.tv, um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I rarely use Twitter, but it's all at Katie Huffman, C-A-D-Y-H-U-F-F-M-A-N. And I will be in the Berkshires on July 3rd doing a, I'm doing a new uh, uh, music experiment with my friend Marianne McSweeney. So we'll be up at the Foundry. And the Berkshire's doing some music up there, yeah. Oh, that's going to be pretty. And uh, one final thing, since we are a comedy advice podcast, we always ask our guests, what is the best piece of advice you have ever received? It can be personal, professional, financial. We'll take any advice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It has to be something Tommy Toon said to me. I, um, you know, I was rehearsing The Will Rogers Folly. This was my first time, 25 years old, first time as a principal on Broadway nervous out of my mind like so nervous and I have this silly speech so ladies and gentlemen live and in person you know this whole silly speech that I have to do I come from the ballet world I'm waiting for him to tell me what to do so I it's my first time to do it I basically do the speech and I walk off stage he goes comes out to me Katie do Something. (laughs) (laughs) So you're worried. I want to say that's the best bit of advice ever. Do something. Something. If you think I am not getting that tattooed on my body, you are wrong. (laughs) Do something. Put that on a pillow, everybody. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh, do something. Just do something. Anything you did before. Something. Don't oh, do that. God, that's so great. Well, do something. Katie, like, don't just do nothing. Do something. And that something is to follow Katie Huffman online right now. Yeah, Go and sure find her, stalk her, watch Katie Huffman. Uh, the Katie did on YouTube. Door. She has plenty of stuff coming out and find her in July. Katie, you've Shoot, been. Shoot, I had a tag sale just yesterday. I wish this had aired like a day. Oh, oh no. damn it. Yeah. Well, I'll get in my Wayback Machine and we'll see what kind of magic we can make happen. I'm very witchy. Very witchy. Trust us. She is. You have been awesome. Thank you so much for being a phenomenal guest. Well, you are adorable. Thank you so much for having me. We love you. I love you more. Oh, I love connection. Then you got it. If you got it. You know what it's time for? We're sliding into home <gasps> with our pants full of foam. Diarrhea. Cha-cha-cha. Diarrhea. Cha-cha-cha. That's how I learned how to cha-cha. It's time, time for a specialty cocktail. Yeah. Specialty drink. I've had the drink of my life. And I'm drinking through every open door. And I owe it all to you. 
Ready? I'm gonna back up and I'm gonna run into you. Lift me. Let's do the lift. Oh, well, now that I've killed Patty, we're gonna be having his uh, human pinata ceremony at the luge later. Luge funeral. Uh, this week's cocktail is the Lost Dance. They're spinning the final record of the night, and James Jones Ferris wants to dance to Stairway to Heaven with you. Oh, thank you. He's gone. Uh, oh, there oh. he is. Ah, he was just hiding. For this, you will need, get this, get, get excited for this, right. one cherry lime ice cube. What? He makes special, specialty cubes, specialty, specialty cubes. cubes. You will need three quarters of an ounce of gin, three quarters of an ounce, ounce, Christ, of green chartreuse, three quarters of an ounce Luxado Maraschino liqueur, and three quarters of an ounce lime juice. So all equal parts of the ingredients. Now here's how you make the cherry lime cube. You ready for cherry lime cube? Number one. Place four lime wheels into a small heat-proof glass measuring cup. Number two, add just enough hot water to cover the lime. Number three, stir and let sit for five minutes. This will release any liquid wax or oils from the lime skin and flesh. Number four, strain, <laughs> strain the limes and repeat the hot water process one more time. Number five, place one cherry and one lime wheel in each compartment of your ice cube mold. Number six, fill the mold with water and freeze until solid about 30 hours. Number seven, remove the cubes from the mold and keep fruit frozen until ready for use. This is almost like when you used to put orange juice in the ice cube trays, or was that just me? So enjoyable. So here's the tasting notes. Who would have thought to bling up an ice cube for a specialty cocktail? Well, my friends, meet DJ Leslie Kirchhoff, curator of Disco Cube Cocktails, highlighting her artisanal and inventive ice cubes. The Lost Dance was inspired by the sweet and sour pre-prohibition cocktail, The Lost Word, a drink that was featured on this very podcast back in September of 2019. We've been doing this a very long time. Mm -hmm. The addition of that stylish ice cube is Kirchhoff's dedication to the artistry and flair of the queen of disco, Donna Summer. Summer Summer Donna! (laughs) So... Before the lights go down, grab your drink, slip on your platform shoes, unbutton that silk shirt, and let's all hit the dance floor and do the hustle. (laughs) Delivered to us on a cloud by the man himself. This is interesting. It's It's very interesting. Very. First of all, take in the cube. Let's appreciate all the work that went into this cube. That is a suspended cherry. And lime. How does he do it? He's magic. He's a witch. That's why. Ready? Clink it. Ah! It looks a little cloudy. I think it's a lime juice. Must be an infection. Oh, let's see. Mm. Oh, she tart! Mm, she's on a journey down my throat. Uh, yeah. She better hold on yeah, to the side. She just shot right into my throat and <laughs> didn't give me a little right tap to- on the head. <laughs> I. It went right to the back of my tongue. Mm. You know what it's turning into right now? Steve. Nerds. (laughs) I thought it was familiar. Nerds. Mm. Liquid nerds. Remember when you'd eat like Lickamade? What? Are you talking about the uh, The sugar? The sugar packets with the sugar stick? That that somebody was like, you know what? Lickamade? Lickamade. L I K M Aid. It's four individual packets of sugar. Absolutely. And a stick made out of sugar. With coloring, with food coloring. Mm-hmm. 
Don't forget the healthy part. Food coloring. The wrapper. And they just load it into little packets, and they sent them out to the children of America. Yeah. This has a lick of made vibe to it. Hmm. I don't think mine, it's not as tangy to me. That's because you're dead inside. Oh, that's the sound of success right there. That's the sound of the dance. Give me a beat. Ice cube. Give me a beat. (laughs) It's such a pretty ice cube. Will you promise me that one day we will go to a big 24 hour diner where they have the huge menus and we will order amaretto sours? Absolutely not. And like a meatloaf. No. Come on. Just once. If we know we're going to die right before. Oh, for no Pinata, a human pinata funeral. What do you want? To she see? had a license plate, a boot, and a keyboard in her stomach. And he <laughs> had that meatloaf undigested, full size. And he was that? It smells like an amaretto sour. In a glass, in a stomach, entirely intact. It's like cutting. Ta da! <laughs> the best. That's a special skill. A hell of a magic trick. Waited a long time for that. Mm.